I'm Dave Gerhardt. I'm the Chief Brand Officer at Drift and host of this podcast, The Pipeline Podcast. Got an awesome new episode for you uh, this week. My guests are Brad and Julia from 15.5. We have a nice C- uh, CRO and CMO pairing. It was awesome to get to sit down and interview them together. I was scribbling down notes the whole time, which is like, what I like to do, the interview goes all over the place. Uh, we talked about Julia being a new a new CMO coming in the last six months, what she did in the first 90 days, why they're investing 50% of their budget in brand, how they've gotten aligned with the sales team, um, how she came in as, as a new CMO and went into action mode instead of planning mode, uh, and why, how they split revenue uh, and pipeline responsibilities from sales versus marketing. Um, And honestly, when we had this idea for this podcast, this was exactly the type of interview that we wanted to get out. I'm super happy with how this conversation turned out. And I think you're going to get at least two new things out of this that you can take back to your company. And if they're not new things, I think the other thing is just like this podcast can be therapy. These are other people working similar roles in sales and marketing to you. And uh, one thing that's helped me in my career is just understanding that we're all kind of going through the same challenges at every company and nothing is really new. And the best way to learn is to learn through your peers. And that's what we want to do on this podcast. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And uh, here we go. My conversation with Brad and Julia from 15.5. All right, we're back with another episode of uh, the Pipeline Podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Gerhardt, uh, Chief Brand Officer at Drift, and today I have Brad and Julia from Fifteen Five. Uh, let's just do quick, quick intros. Like, who are you? What you do? What, what do you do? What did you do before this? Uh, uh, go, go with you first, Julia. Cool. Uh, so my name is Julia. Obviously, I am CMO at Fifteen Five. I'm based in Santa Barbara, California. Been at 15.5 around six months now. Prior to that, I was CMO at a MarTech company called Allocadia, headquartered out of Canada. And then prior to that, I was VP of marketing at a another MarTech company called Invoca, um, where I was there for almost eight years in various marketing leadership roles. Got two young boys, and I'm a passionate runner and swimmer. That's me in a nutshell. Brad. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Textbook for everyone listening at home. That is how intros should go on these types of podcasts. <laughs> Keep, well, keep that in mind. This is a self. Go ahead, Brad. No pressure. Well, I'm I know sales, she's up the bar. Sales guy, right? no pressure. <laughs> uh, so I'm Brad McGinnity, Chief Revenue Officer at 15.5. I joined four and a half years ago when we were about 30 people to help us pivot from self-service only and kind of a product-led growth strategy to also having a sales uh, assisted or a direct sales model as well and built the sales team from there. I currently lead success, support, partnerships, and sales at 15.5 prior to that. I worked at a company called Windsor Circle, where I was co-founder and VP of sales. We did predictive analytics for e-commerce companies. And I've got three daughters, ages 6 to 12, live in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, can't say I'm a passionate runner or swimmer. <laughs> Good. Um, okay, so I, I, I just questioned right, right off the bat, um, you know, Julia, w- when you come in, to a company like this, and I want to talk about the relationship between both of your 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 roles in in a minute. But coming into this company, like just as a CMO, like wh- where did you start six six months ago, and 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 what you know? How do you come into a? It, it's one thing to start early in a company and kind of grow with it, but when you come in kind of at at this stage, like what what do you do? <laughs> It's a great question, and it really depends on the situation um, being what what the state of the marketing organization is that you step into. And so at 15.5, there had been 
a lot of change in leadership within the marketing department. And just, um, if we're being honest, which we should be a lot of turnover in marketing over the past six or nine months. So what I did, what I focused on was creating a stable, thriving marketing organization and creating a little bit of order from some of what probably felt like chaos to some of the team members over a certain period of time. So that was my, my first priority was the people and, and how I thought about that was really understanding the stage of business that 15.5 was at, the partnership with sales, the partnership with customer experience, with product and so on to, to understand, okay, what are the key, what are the most important key functions in marketing that we need to prioritize, prioritize right now? What leaders on the marketing team do I need to be really strong right now to match the, the business needs? And then from there kind of helped restructure and rebuild the, the marketing team and get everyone in the right roles with the right focus. So that, that was the main, uh, my number one priority is the people, because I'm not going to be the one doing the work, right? Their work, it's, it's, the, it's the marketing team that does the work. I don't. Um, and then the other piece, which, is, which was unique to 15.5, um, and a really, really fun, but also stressful onboarding period was we were in the middle of going through a rebrand. And I started a few weeks before we completely rebranded the company announced an acquisition of another company and moved from a more feature-led product approach to a complete suite of products that you could either buy standalone or buy as part of a complete platform. So in that scenario, um, my, my focus there as a CMO was to look strategically at all the different moving pieces. Cause that's a lot like any head of marketing would like any one of those things to work with. I had an abundance of riches in terms of like news and, and marketing excitement to generate. So I, I looked at all the different pieces and tried to simplify and figure out how do I take all of these things that are already in motion that are already like 90%, you know, out of, out of the gate. And again, I go back to that theme of like, bring some order to it, bring a little bit of strategy to it and roll up my sleeves also and fill immediate gaps in the team to just make sure we execute really smoothly. So that was how I spent my first two or three months. And Brad, on, on, on your side, uh, and don't let me derail you, if you're going to say something, go there anyway, and maybe you could take this as a follow up, but like, just curious to hear, like, what, what were you looking for? And, you know, as a CRO at a, however big your, your company is now, like, you know, what do you look, what were you looking for in a, in a marketing partner? I'd love to just hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to jump back for a second. I mean, part of what you did, Julie, when you stepped in was like, you immediately went into action mode, like in a lot of ways doing individual contributor level work because of this rebrand and because we were short staffed on some things. And so um, your first month into the job. Um, you were just in all out 100 miles an hour execution mode and leading a team of people, but you yourself were doing a lot of that work. And so I want to give credit to you for recognizing, like you weren't coming in as a CMO who could like kind of stop and interview everybody and ask a bunch of questions and get a lay of the land and develop your 90 day plan and then like roll on your 30, 60, 90. Like you hit go immediately. And then I remember as soon as the rebrand was done, <laughs> yeah. you like whipped out this strategy of how we're going to oh. become like a hundred million dollar company very, very quickly. <laughs> I thought you were going to so say, like I went to Hawaii. After you, did, <laughs> after you launched this stuff, you're like, and now I'm stepping into strategy <laughs> mode and building the team. And so your adaptability to understand exactly what we needed and quickly pivot yourself was, was amazing to watch as you stepped in. What did you say, Julia? You thought, you thought he was going to say what? 
that I went to Hawaii because I also did that. I spent <laughs> one month working really hard and then I like peaced out for two weeks in Hawaii. <laughs> That's true. Okay, That's so I, I have a couple, a couple follow-ups on that. So first of all, I love that as an example because I think that at least in my, uh, in my limited experience, like what I've seen is it can be hard when the new leader of any department comes in because so much of that first 90 days is, you know, kind of like you're not really doing anything. You're, you are, and it seems important, but you're meeting with people. You're, you know, you're catching up on emotions and feelings and I'm not taking away from that. However, if you're the sales side of like revenue does not stop. And so you don't get to like, you're, you've already kind of been looking for a marketing leader for X, however long, then you finally bring that person. Like the process is insane from start to finish. And, and so just to hear that, you know, someone with your experience, Julia, like and, and background from Alacadia, um, and et cetera, to hop in and in, in action mode. Do you feel like, like, just don't you feel like there's a certain level of like, that's the best way to build trust with the sales and rest of the organization is to just kind of like, oh, see her, see you come in and like, okay, she's she's still got a little bit of a, uh, she still has a little game herself. And then when you shift into strategy mode, you almost get a little bit more credibility, right? Yeah, definitely. I think you got to earn, earn the trust and earn the credibility. And also to be fair, if you're hiring a new head of marketing, whether it's a VP, SVP or CMO, things probably aren't in a perfect state. And so I said like, you know, it was complicated when I joined 15.5 because of all these factors, but that's going to be the case for any team. There's, there's no company you're joining where you need a new head of marketing and everything's just going perfectly. So I think that's, it's a great reminder of, yeah, you got to be able to roll up your sleeves and, and like earn your street credit, the company, um, at the beginning. There's a, Dave, there's a great book called The First 90 Days, which I've read about 90% of, but haven't finished it. And it has some acronym called STARS, which I cannot tell you what all the letters stand for, but it basically identifies five types of situations that a new leader steps into. Um, and so it's a great book. You can Google it and find this, you know, the STARS acronym and um, understand most of the of, of the book's contents in about 45 seconds, but it's a great reference point to understand what are we, what exactly am I stepping into? What does this situation call for? And how am I going to be the type of leader that the situation and the people and the business need right now? Because it is different from situation to situation. So it's, it's a nice book for that. Okay. So let's talk about what, what, what do you, what, what do you need? Like if you, if you both can kind of share the if you can give people a little bit of context of like, you don't have to share specific revenue numbers. And I know you won't, mm -hmm. but like ballpark company size uh, and give people a sense of like, I want, I want people to have a sense of what is the revenue function look like? What does sales and marketing expect from each other? What are, what are your goals? How do you operate? People love to hear that type of stuff. And so maybe we yeah. can dive into that a little bit. Yeah. I'll, I'll give an attempt at that one. And Julie, please fill in the blanks. Um, so companies around 220 people or so today, um, we're roughly doubling revenue, uh, this year in 2021, uh, with the intention to do it again in 2022. Um, we have, uh, a shift in our customer persona that we've been going after from primarily built around, uh, managers and CEOs and department leaders to, um, a business that's primarily focused on HR buyers. So you had a shift there, pricing and packaging changes, uh, that Julia referenced. Um, and a, a business that still has a product-led growth self-service part of our business, as well as this kind of direct sales motion with customer success and implementation um, and a customer support team that sits underneath the whole thing. So we have um, uh, multiple personas. We have uh, go-to-market strategies that involve self-service, that involve land and expand, as well as 
uh, kind of company-wide implementations on day one. And so it leaves us in this really interesting spot where um, lots of different strategies are very, very effective as we go to market. So it obviously involves a lot of coordination to understand, starting with Julie and I, who is the customer, what is the the persona and the segment and the go-to-market strategy that we're going to prioritize and put most of our resources into, and then what other kind of bets are we going to make along this, uh, you know, on, on, with these other segments and try stuff out um, in order to see what kinds of new opportunities we can unpack that'll help us to double in 2022. So um, her team runs obviously a bunch of demand gen stuff and a bunch of content um, leads and webinars are really uh, important part of it as well as building out the brand, um, which are then picked up by our sales development team who's doing inbound outbound passing over to account executives. Once we win the customer, they go to our implementation team and our customer success team. The success team is taking the customer on a journey to achieve their outcomes and then looking for expansion opportunities, more seats, upsell into a new package and passing that back to our expansion account executive team. So CSMs are running renewals um, and the expansion account execs are, are adding new revenue on that um, as we sell new products. So we get this application of marketing into our existing customer base as we do expansion and upsell work, um, obviously out into the market through lots of different techniques uh, to generate demand for the business. And then we've got this kind of multifaceted uh, sales team who's working with everything from SMB up to enterprise and a success team that's kind of layered in the same way uh, to, to circle it all back into the engine again. Julia, where does uh, where does pipeline come from t today? It's a mix of inbound and outbound, uh, heavier on the inbound side, uh, which is by by choice, by selection, I guess you could say, and also by capacity. It's it's kind of interesting. Um, so I can touch on that in a second, but most of you, the typical places you would think it would come from. So digital advertising, paid search, um, paid social, uh, Brad mentioned webinars are very successful for us, virtual events and so on. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting at this stage of growth and how Brad and I work together is ideally you would do everything that, that Brad just outlined. And we do to an extent, but also we're still not a massive company with infinite resources. So every right. quarter, you know, we, we look at our model. Uh, so we look at what our bookings targets are and how much is expected to come from new logo acquisition versus expanding into existing customers. And then from there by market segment, you know, is it SMB, mid-market enterprise and so on. And we, we talk about where we have our biggest strengths right now, what areas we're building out more. And then in the given quarter, we'll, we'll pick a few focus areas. And so, um, last quarter, it could have been, okay, we're going to really invest a lot of resources in new customer acquisition. We'll still work on the expansion stuff, but, but not as much. And then this quarter feeling like, okay, hey, we've got a really, um, really strong, solid new logo machine kind of running and humming. It's time for us to invest more resources in expansion. And so as we look at like our OKR planning for the quarter, I'll, we'll discuss with the demand gen team. Hey, when you're looking at your budget allocations, let's shift 50% mm. specifically to, um, to support expansion efforts. And then from there, we look at, okay, what does this mean from like an SDR resource perspective? How much are we going to emphasize ABM in expansion efforts and so on? But it really starts, like Brad was saying, with with he and I connecting prior to the start of every, each quarter and figuring out 
what are the areas we want to go deep across the revenue organization in a yeah, given quarter? First of all, I love that. That le that level level of detail is exactly what what people like to hear. Like just you know, work working back from the the revenue, you know, working back from customer segment. But I think what you what you mentioned is um, really important because a lot of people listening, like we are all, I, you know, I've been in this position also as a marketing leader, as a sales or marketing leader at a high growth SaaS company, right? You and you talked about you have to double revenue this year and then you have to double revenue again next year. Uh, you know, there are, it's a hard job. There are so many different ways, you know, think about like the whole funnel that Brad laid out. There's a million different plays alone in there. I, I think that it's so hard to, there's so many things that you can do. I, I often feel like there's multiple ways that you can be successful, but where companies get paralyzed is like, there's too many things versus like, I love the way that you broke that down by saying like, there's lots of ways we can grow this thing. This quarter, we are focusing on new versus expansion, and therefore the playbook is going to be dictated this way. Because I've found, at least in my experience, my own shortcomings has been like, when you're trying to do it all, it's like, who's responsible for expansion? What are we doing for expansion? Just sending emails to people is not expansion. And so I like the, I, I like the idea of like you two sitting down each quarter and presenting the plan back to the team with like almost like a highlight on like, look, there's lots of levers we have for this quarter. We're going to focus on these three levers. And then as a mar even like as an individual contributing marketing person, I can then go and build my individual content plan, for example, mm -hmm. around that, that mix. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is, of, yeah. Go ahead, Brad. I was going to say one of the tricky things in there is, is don't forget the timing of all of it, right? So if we're talking about quarterly OKRs, we're going to go after expansion, right? So we've got a life cycle of how long it takes to generate an expansion lead and nurture that lead till it becomes an MQL and then it becomes an SQL or a, you know, SAO or whatever we call it as a sales opportunity. And then that's got a life cycle as well. So if we're talking about running 90 day OKRs or 180 day OKRs, what are the appropriate measures of success in the right time frame to understand how well we did before we're kind of moving on to the next thing? And so, you know, obviously we've got a lot of marketing OKRs that are ultimately designed to create bookings, but bookings has to run all the way through an entire sales cycle. So we might not know for four or five months that the whole thing really worked. And so um, I think that requires this extra level of uh, diligence around the correct measures when you're doing goal planning and OKRs. And then of course, a high level of communication to go back and say, all right, like did this thing really work? And, and do we agree on the measures themselves? Yeah. And one of the things I was going to add um, is joining 15.5. It was the first time, and this is all thanks to Brad, where there was an organization in place called the Revenue Organization. And it wasn't just sales and marketing. It was sales, marketing, and customer experience, customer success. And from a planning perspective, and, and we're still working this out because it's going to evolve as, as we grow, but we have what we call our, our rev org team priorities that, and it, it's not a set number. It can be two, it can be four, it can be five, but that each quarter we've identified are the most important priorities for the entire revenue organization. And then individual departments will also have their own goals and priorities and whatnot. And in the case of expansion, for example, it's so helpful having customer success, customer experience, leadership involved in one of those cross-functional initiatives because you can't, ex expansion isn't just a marketing and sales thing. It is a customer um, success thing as well. And so uh, kudos to, to Brad for thinking of it that way. I don't know how common it is to bring all three of those groups together on a regular basis for planning to, to stay connected. 
Oh, and, and product. Like I think the missing link in a lot yeah. of these conversations is like <laughs> if it, the, the easiest way to do expansion is to have a product that, that naturally expands with customer success, success. It's much harder to swoop yeah. in every 90 days and try to get someone to sell more stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Products that naturally expand obviously make a big, big difference. You mentioned, uh, do you, do you know what the, like you mentioned the revenue goal, the pipeline and revenue goals based on um, sales versus marketing. Do you have that? Like, Hey, our goal for this quarter is X ARR. We expect 70% of that to come from marketing and 30% of that to come from sales. Do you have something like that split? We do. We do. I can tackle this one if you want, Brad. Um, it's funny because I've been on the record in previous interviews at previous companies saying, Hey, marketing should marketing and sales should have one shared pipeline number and it shouldn't be about who sourced what. Um, but I've learned, I think a lot of that depends on not necessarily your business model, but the stage of, of growth and, um, category creation that you are at. Because if there's a lot of inbound interest and demand, I think it makes sense to measure that and, and understand, Hey, marketing is going to source X percent, um, versus if you're in a really emerging category where even if you want it, just that inbound interest isn't there and you have to do a lot more outbound combined sales and marketing initiatives. It really, um, the sourced piece becomes less uh, important. So we do have, we do look at both. We look at marketing source pipeline and opportunities and then, and those still go through SDRs. So they'll come in inbound, but they're still qualified through SDRs and then get passed on to an AE. And then we also have another bucket that um, is, sourced, you could say by, by SDRs or, or through other means, but is still influenced and impacted by marketing. Um, we're, we are big investors in brand right now. I'd say almost 50% of our marketing budget is, goes to brand awareness and, and thought leadership and more of that brand marketing. And that's the kind of stuff that pays off, not just for the marketing source pipeline, but for the, the rest of the pipeline as well. When I first joined 15.5, Dave, um, and we, we had three people on our marketing team. We had no account executives and like two SDRs. Um, it's back in August of 2017. Sorry, we had one account executive. His name's Tim and he's freaking fantastic. <laughs> and he's now leading our expansion sales team and absolutely crushing it. So he should get some kudos here. Um, Everyone's so going to go and LinkedIn and find Tim right now. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If you poach him, Dave. Um, so we had a we had 100 percent inbound leads, and we set a goal that said we wanted uh, we wanted to get to a place where 60 percent of our bookings were coming from uh, marketing slash inbound, and 40 percent was coming from outbound. Um, and so we ultimately achieved that within a couple of years. We got to a place where we were doing. Uh, uh, we wanted it was forty four percent was coming from uh, from outbound um, as that play was really working and the, and the team was repeatable and scalable and it was growing um, and so so that model definitely works for us and I think where Julie and I are in a really healthy place is that like where we have these distinctions around you know kind of what's marketing source pipeline or sales source pipeline etc. It, it's not about fighting over credit at all in our relationship. It is entirely about resource allocation uh, and measuring 100%. what's working so we can so we can figure out why we can make it better or figure out why it's working so we can do more of it. And a lot of that just comes down to like leadership and maintaining healthy relationships. A hundred percent. I'm so glad you said that because I think um, 
like Julia, you mentioned you're, you're, you used to have the philosophy of, uh, the, the source doesn't matter. Like, right. But, but the hard part is like, the, it, it does because I've been in those conversations where it's like, well, we, you know, marketing said 70%, sales said 30%, marketing hit our 70%, but the company's short of the revenue number. Marketing leader often is like, sale like that's on you that's yeah, on you not my problem yeah and and i actually think of it as like i think of like if you think of it as marketing's job is to make sales easier period and sales can mean like i show up on the website and you have a great website and great content that that's making sales easier but it's also supporting the sales team and so like i've just i feel like the philosophy should be like as a marketing team uh it's always internal um, battles or like how someone is comped or like really silly reasons that you can't get on the same page. Because if we're working together and you say, Hey, look, we together, we own this pipeline number. I can shift my mix of things. If we want it to be 50% sales driven, then that's great. We're going to hire more product marketing. We're going to do, do more bottom of the funnel content. We're going to hire two copywriters on mark in marketing that are going to own writing outbound emails, right? It's just a, it's just a, it's a mix shift. And so it's good to hear you say that, like, you know, it really, it, it shouldn't be a credit thing. It comes down to a resource allocation thing. What is our mix? It's a hypothesis. What is our mix of how we're going to get customers? Some from inbound, some from outbound. And last thought on this ramble is like, um, inbound is great, but it can also be your biggest curse because if you have inbound early coming in, you kind of just have people showing up and they're booking and they're buying. What you need to be doing though is building predictable, repeatable pipeline channels for six months, 12 months, 18 months uh, down the road. And so like it, it almost seems like that's the shift that you all have made now, which is you have a, you, you know, you're taking a more, uh, I don't know if programmatic is the right word, but you're, you're taking a more um, systematic approach to building pipeline as opposed to just seeing what comes in with inbound. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And a fun little anecdote that I haven't experienced before and that's come up this, this quarter and I think, it, I think it speaks to like shared goals and across marketing and sales, we just want to hit the pipeline number the best way that we can. But we run in, we, so we had everything perfectly modeled at the beginning of the quarter of X amount would come inbound, X amount would come outbound. And then, um, we got lucky slash we have an amazing, um, strategic head of demand gen who we created more inbound demand than we had capacity for. Which like, okay, cry me a river, right? What a problem. But it meant we had to pull, um, outbound SDRs off of outbound to, to catch the, the high volume of inbound because we didn't want to let that go to waste. And it meant then that we were falling short on our outbound targets. And across sales and marketing, we were okay with that because together we'd made the decision. This is the right way to, um, to handle these capacity constraints. And, and so of course, and, Q4, we're going to be investing more in, in, in beefing up capacity on the outbound side. But um, I thought it was just an interesting example. You, you've got to be flexible. You can have your model and set your targets and stuff, but you've got to collaborate across sales and marketing to ultimately figure out what's going to get you to your quarterly goal the best way possible and be flexible to change throughout the quarter, even if it means you have to you know, shift people's um, focus areas. Well, like so often you set a you set a goal and it's just a goal and a plan, but it hasn't been operationalized. And so if in the plan we have uh, we're, we're growing from 20 percent to 30 percent sales contribution, like who's actually doing that? That's not just going to happen. Like so there has to be a program that someone is driving. Um, OK, 
I, I, this is what I do when I do this, by the way, I like scribble all these like random notes and things that I want to, <laughs> I want to come back to. So, uh, I, I have a, I have a couple things. One of them is, uh, I have this note circle about Julia. You said that you're right now you're, you're spending about 50% in brand. Um, I'm assuming that comes from a kind of philosophy, a philosophical conversation around strategy with you, with Brad, with the CEO. Um, can you just, can you talk about that? Because I, it can be hard to do that, right? You have short-term revenue goals, and and you know if you miss the revenue, if you miss the pipeline goal in Q4, nobody is going to want to hear it's because you put all your budget into brand. So, like, where does this come from? It, it's an awesome question. I actually, am, I want to pass it over to Brad because one of the reasons I am I I'm successful in doing it and feel confident is because I have cross-functional support. So I want to hear Brad's perspective and then I, I will talk about it, but Brad wants it too, which makes it work. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, anytime we can get the CRO to talk about the power of brand, my, you, you, my friend, you have the mic, go ahead. <laughs> well, so I, I, uh, it's all about mindset, right? So I think the first thing that we as CROs or VP of sales or whatever have got to get our heads straight on about is the fact that we are not responsible for leading the sales part of our organization. We are responsible for leading the organization, the entire company to maximize its revenue potential. And so if we get into a bunch of short-term thinking, that's going to optimize just for sales, but minimize the long-term opportunity and impact that the business can have, then we're not doing our jobs well as members of the executive leadership team. Like, our responsibility is to the company, not to our sales team. And so when you get into that orientation first, well, then it becomes this question of like, well, what's the value of brand to the business? And brand is a long-term sustainable competitive advantage that any business can create that is really, really hard to unseat. Whereas like somebody else can copy your feature, somebody else can copy your sales model, right? Like these other things are short-term competitive advantages, but brand is a long-term durable, sustainable competitive advantage. And so, um, I mean, I'll, I'll pat David, our CEO, on the back with this one and his strong belief that we have got to be investing in brand at 15.5. And so we set aside brand investment um, in 2020 during COVID. Um, when we rebudgeted everything in March of 2020, when COVID initially hit, we put that brand investment on hold um, with the intention to go do it in 2021. And literally built into the model that we're going to start spending dollars and not see a bump in our pipeline for nine months. Um, and so when Julia came on board and she led us through this rebrand effort, um, we were so excited to have somebody come in who we knew was going to be a great steward of those dollars and and spend it in a way that was going to maximize the brand opportunity. So I, can you I talk about those like, dollars actually? Like you've got to have can, a long term. Can you pause and talk about those dollars, Brad? Can you, can you just explain like, like what, so you're spending, like what does that spend actually? It's not just a new logo. Can you, can you yeah. explain a little bit more about what the spend on brand is? Yeah. I sh we should pass that over to Julia. Cause <laughs> at this point we just set aside the money and now she's spending. <laughs> <laughs> now I get to have a lot of, I, I swear doing a big brand campaign is one of the most fun things I think you can do as a marketer. Um, so the, the actual dollars are going to creative concepting and, and design. I've worked with in-house teams. I've worked with 
outsourced agencies. And I, and I do find that it's really effective when you want to do a big brand campaign to work with an external agency, because they just have fresh perspective on your audience and your value proposition and can usually get the creative juices flowing in a way that it's, it's hard to do internally all the time. So, um, a fair amount of costs go to that. And then the actual, um, media costs. So we are doing out of home placement billboards, um, bus shelter, digital ads in, in, in physical city locations combined with heavy social and digital advertising. That's the crux of a specific brand campaign that we'll be running for a quarter or two across different locations. But then other areas where I'm investing in brand and using those dollars is around PR and thought leadership as well. So, so investing in a really solid partnership with a strong PR agency creating a lot more thought leadership content, building out an influencer strategy and investing dollars in that as well. Those are the different areas that I think about in terms of brand investment. And then how do I measure the impact of that? Because that's usually the question that follows. And I look at it a few different ways. I look at ultimately, what are we trying to accomplish with this? And it's more people having heard of us, more people knowing us and seeing us as a trusted brand. So I look at website traffic, direct, organic, um, and then I also, over time, it's way too early to be measuring this, but like to, to generally just look at overall is our, is our win rate increasing? Um, when our sales teams go, go outbound, is there more name recognition? So I'm looking at setting up, for example, tags and gong calls to understand, Hey, is, is the brand campaign coming up or certain keywords coming up that they might have seen reference in some of our campaigns? So that kind of stuff, website traffic. Um, over a long time increases in pipeline and win rate. And then also I do look at some of your more traditional PR metrics around share of voice and, um, and coverage gathered. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to hear you, uh, break that down. Cause I think the, you're, you're doing this big campaign, but it also should have some short-term results also. Like if you're kind of one, all of a sudden turning on all of this, I'll, you know, you would see that in in shorter term um, website traffic. The, the 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 part that gets interesting though is measuring, like the, your part about outbound is really interesting, right? Which is like measuring win rate uh, via outbound after you know or or around this time frame, because the I think one of the hardest things in marketing in sales and marketing right now is like the so there's just so many different influencing factors and why somebody's going to sign up for 15.5 that like, again, it goes back to the credit thing. It's like, however you set up your attribution model, like, are you setting the team up to battle over credit for that? Or like, ultimately, could someone have visited your website, read your blog, and then saw one of your bus shelters and then saw a billboard, and then they reach out to sales and and like, you just kind of want to know, are more people hearing about it? And so I like, I like taking the approach to gong. That's like the ultimate close the loop, right? Which is like in the sales conversation. And that'd be an amazing way to do attribution. It's like, no, they told us that they heard, they saw the billboard and they heard about us. Um, but do you have, is there like an offer that's with that? Or is it just straight up like visit 15.5.com? Right now, it's just the straight up 50, visit 15.5.com. Because we have such strong direct response demand gen type marketing, we really wanted, and also because we're starting to target a new audience and just want more broad awareness, we really wanted to go with the understanding at, at its core who we are as a company and what we stand for versus um, trying to get someone to get a, take a demo of product X. Yeah. And the bet is that, that that will ultimately lead to that anyway. We'll support and, and drive even more results from the demand gen stuff from when our, our um, sales team goes outbound and, and so on, yeah. 
uh, just a, one, one more question on this. And who did you, how did you come up with like the actual, this is the message, right? Because when you do a campaign like that, you kind of have a bunch of ideas, you whittle them all down. Lots of people have lots of opinions. Uh, you ultimately kind of have to pick one or maybe two v variations of, of creative. Like wh wh how did that net out? So the, the general concept, sorry, let me take a step back. Goals for the campaign, audience, high level, like message that we want to get across feelings that we want to get across. Um, I and the marketing team came up with agency came up with concepts and then, um, and we did a workshop with different stakeholders across the company. So got input from our CEO, um, from, from folks in our sales organization, from our CX. Um, and then it really narrowed to a small group of myself, um, someone from product marketing and corporate marketing, um, a little bit of feedback from one or two other executives. And then ultimately I just made the decision. You, uh, yeah. Uh, on, <laughs> you, I mean, I was you say, what, what they hired you to do. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, like I, I, it gets to the point where someone's got to make a decision and ultimately that's my job. So I'm comfortable and, and just do that. And I think on, it's on super goals, important to do that often too. <laughs> on, on the goals piece, uh, do you have, like, are the goals, we want to increase website traffic 30% over the next X months? Or is it more like we will measure success by more website traffic more the the former but it's a little bit of hey 15% 20% what feels yeah. right and so it's a little bit of a guess but but that we did set that type of goal and also some engagement goals around to, to measure the success of is this campaign resonating with folks so are they watching the video clips longer than your typical benchmarks for engaging with video um you know that type of stuff and then we will look because this, I mean, I'm relatively new to 15.5 still. It's my first brand campaign. I'll use this to sort of benchmark and then in subsequent campaigns, feel a little more confident setting numerical targets in advance. Brad, you got any add-ons to that before I go elsewhere? Nothing that'll actually help, but I always okay, have good. words to say. Great. Then don't, don't, please don't <laughs> say anything. Um, <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, question back to the revenue piece of this. So, you know, one of the things that's changing is that in B2B, sales and marketing is a little bit harder because we don't control, as sales and marketing people, we don't control the buying process, right? We don't say, like, in the past, I could say there, there's only one 15.5 in this space, so our whole website is locked down, click contact us, and that's how you'll get our information and pricing, and then you can control the whole sales process. But today, anybody that's shopping for 15.5 is also looking at two or three other of your competitors, checking out their stuff. Mm -hmm. And so one of the friction points has become, and I'm, I'm mentioning this because you, I've heard you mention content and webinars. One of the friction points at a lot of companies is that marketing is generating a lot of ebook downloads and webinars, but those are not, those might be leads, but there's a difference between leads yeah. and demand or, you know, the, the big buzzword in B2B today that you will both know is intent. Um, I'm just curious to hear like how those different offers fit in your funnel because I, I, it seems like you two are both too savvy on revenue to go back to the sales team and be like, we got a hundred webinar registrants. Yay. And so like, I'm just curious to hear like, how does that actually fit in the yeah. funnel? So we've kind of alluded to this um, forecast planning pipeline spreadsheet that we have and it's a matrix, right? And, and, and down one column is SMB, mid-market enterprise and across the, the other axis is primarily four different buckets, um, partnerships, uh, outbound, which is mostly ABM, um, 
hand raisers, and inbound. <laughs> or, and we just call it MQLs, right? And so we, we separate out people who are inbound and they're raising their hands saying, I'm interested in learning more about your product today, the demand side of it. And those who are in our ecosystem but aren't yet raising their hand. And so we take those people who are in the ecosystem and not yet raising their hand and we pass them over to our SDRs to go prospecting into them. And we've got specific pipeline goals for it, but it is separate and distinct from the pipeline goals with different conversion rates and a different funnel specifically for the hand raisers who are saying, I want your product today. Um, so that allows us to celebrate all the people who are downloading the eBooks and coming to the webinars and are not yet raising their hand because of the, the momentum that that is creating for the business while simultaneously holding ourselves accountable to the demand that we have to source and create today via the hand raisers and track. So, that so is, that, is that the kind of like money metric that you both go off of? How many like hand raisers are we, are we generating? We focus on the pipeline number. Um, and we, you know, when we're doing all of our planning, we have, different ASPs that we're plugging in for different channels at different sizes, SMB, mid-market enterprise. Um, but so we're, we're focused on the pipeline value. And so we will, we'll certainly get quarters where, um, you know, like last quarter, for example, we were missing on the enterprise number of sales opportunities, but the ASP was way higher than we had anticipated. And so um, we far exceeded the pipeline goals. And so we're, we're paying attention to both. Um, but I would say we're more holding ourselves accountable to the uh, pipeline dollars. Yeah, I'd agree. The only thing I would add is in an ideal world, like 100% of our uh, pipeline would come from like the hand raisers and demo requests and whatnot. It's not, that's not realistic, um, just given the volume of pipeline that we want to create. But we are um, in, in marketing and in SDR, we are trying to optimize for the, the highest intense leads yeah. MQLs push them through and we're look, we always can't like optimize our spend to get as many of those as possible, knowing that we're still going to need to do more of the, the long nurture process with some of the, the yeah. inbound MQL types. But everything's driving to a, a meeting, right? So you kind of have that one, mm -hmm. you can look at meetings is kind of the leading indicator for pipeline. Yeah. SQL meetings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 um, we track, um, three kind of little micro stages that are happening. So one is the meeting that the SDR is having with the prospective customer just to qualify them. Um, so that's the qualification call. And then they schedule, they, they got a qualified customer. So then they pass it over to the account executive. Um, and, but then the account executive has to verify that it's a real sales opportunity. Uh, we don't just let the SDR do it by themselves. And so um, we have the qualification call and then it becomes a pre sales opportunity in our nomenclature, it's a PSQL, um, which is weird because they're really O's, not a, not L's, but anyway. Um, so we have a pre-stage there and then it gets validated by the account executive to become uh, in the discovery call uh, to become validated and actually become a sales opportunity. So um, we see the conversion rate drop off where account executives aren't validating everything that's come over and they're rejecting some of it, which is good. We don't want 100% conversion rate because that means the SCRs aren't taking enough chances. But we don't want that conversion rate to drop so low that we're wasting account executive time either. All right, Julia, I want to go back to you for, for a minute as, as we wrap up. As a, a modern CMO, Brad, this is not to say you're not modern. I'm just asking a specific question. <laughs> Julia is very modern. modern. Yeah, Brad's postmodern. Um, you know, and, and you've, you've, been in, you've, you've been in this 
space uh, at kind of, you know, like related uh, MarTech kind of companies. Um, what what trends are you excited about right now? And what actually, let's start with the bad stuff. What 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 problems do most B two B sales and marketing orgs have with generating pipeline today? In in your opinion. Uh, the first one that comes to mind and it's, it's like a less exciting one. Um, but it's the saturation of digital and, and it's partly because of the pandemic. Like when in-person events were essentially wiped out for a long period of time, it wasn't just big conferences, but it was like your smaller field events, your wine and dine events, all that kind of stuff. And moving everything to digital has, has been really challenging. And as marketers, you've been talking about it for a while, but it, it's, it's here to stay. And so I think the biggest challenge is cutting through all the digital noise. And so if you peel back the layer on that, it really comes down to the storytelling and having a unique value proposition that speaks emotionally to whoever your target audience is. And that's, that's really good marketing and it's really hard to do. So that is the biggest challenge, but then flipping to what I think is exciting as well is it's almost forcing marketing to move away from being so formulaic and like, we still need to be data driven and automated and all that kind of stuff, but it's like stripping it down to brass tacks. So if you don't have a good story, if you don't have an emotional compelling story and brand experience that you're offering up, you're just going to be one of a, you know, thousands of other tech companies. So to really stand out in all the noise, you got to get back to the essential human elements of storytelling, which, which I think is exciting. And, and one of the reasons many marketers get into marketing in the first place. It's so good. Great. It's a great observation. Oh, yeah. Because like, I don't want the, I think the competitive advantage should be, can we tell a better story? Can we come up with better creative? Can we tell a better hook? Not they can spend a hundred grand on AdWords and we can only spend 20 grand. Like, you know, that it's kind of table stakes to your point to, to, to be on digital. Um, what else? I know you got one, one, one more friction point. I think a lot, well, it, it's less of a friction point. It's more like, if you want a good rant from me, um, <laughs> I think oh, it's, yes, please yeah, yeah. go, go. Rant. No, it's just like a lot of traditional that makes sense. Common sense tactics are continually like rebranded as new things and, um, and repositioned. So like ABM is the most obvious one and it's, it's great. It's a really effective way to market and sell, but it's been around forever. And so I think there's, and it's actually one of the reasons I've enjoyed moving out of MarTech. <laughs> now I'm not like dumping on the MarTech industry, but there's just, there's so many technologies out there that are solving great problems, but are, are trying too hard to, to re-envision things in a way that makes it more complicated to understand the bare basics of, of the value prop they provide. And so I think, um, there's a little bit too much of, of that going on in the MarTech space and, and, and it plays out in sort of great strategies are great strategies. Always keep testing and being creative and optimizing, um, and worry a little bit less about what you're, you're calling it, I guess. Yeah. Or, and, and even in like, that makes life a little bit easier as a, as a sales and marketing leader, which is like, you don't have to be paralyzed by trying to keep up with every new thing that's happening in the technology world. Like it's more important that you understand the principles and you can get smart about technology as you might need to bring it into the mix. Yes. That is a perfect summary of it. Brad, what about you on the, on the sales side? What are the, some of the, I guess, you know, what's the old way of selling that you still see leaking through a lot of companies? Yeah, I think, um, the, the main thing is that we're not very customer centric. 
Um, I don't think we spend a lot of time generally, we try to do a better job at this at 15.5 and is how we train people, but we don't spend a lot of time understanding the customer's experience, what their pain points are, what their world looks like, what their opportunities and challenges are as business people. We spend a whole lot of time studying our functionality and our buttons and our widgets and how it might be different than our competitor's button and widget. And um, I think we can be much, much more effective when we do two things. One, we really understand the customer's world and, and their, their environment. And then secondly, when we optimize the journey for, for evaluating and selecting and buying 15.5 awareness, you know, consideration, decision, whatever, um, to being one that is focused on how the customer buys and not how we want to sell. Um, we optimize processes and systems with us in mind and not our customers in mind. And it makes for an insanely frustrating experience on the on the customer side of it. And I think that we, we, we might get some short-term wins out of it, but we don't build long-lasting, sustainable businesses that really meet the meet customers where they are and solve their problem. Amen. That was great. Thank you. Thanks, both of you. Uh, I got a million notes. This is going to be a great episode. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. If you're already listening, if you just listen to this, I hope you agree and don't think that we're <laughs> that we're just blowing smoke over here. Uh, Julia, Brad, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I'm going to send you a note tomorrow with thanks and some other stuff. But uh, we will we'll wrap up now. Mm-hmm.